Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey gang, I hope you're enjoying 2024 so far, but guess what? You can enjoy it that little bit more if you follow our advice here at the NC Show. You know our friends at College Football Island who put on college games every summer in Dublin? Well, they're back and we're back. This summer, Florida State, Georgia Tech, August 24th, we are going to be there. The big question is, are you? If you head on over to College Football Island. Dot com. You can register interest right now. We're going to put the link in the show notes too. So you can just click on that if that's easier for you. Um, info will be sent to you about how you get tickets, how you get those locked in and come and join the party. I tell you what, it is one of the best football experiences I've ever had. And we've doubled down year on year and we're going back again for more. So me, Propo, Ben, hey, we might even drag Carlson with us this year. We're going to be there. The big question is, are you? Get involved. Collegefootballisland.com. Hello and welcome to this special emergency podcast. Yes, it's an emergency. This is an absolute wow. emergency. If uh, if you can hear if you can hear sirens going, um, it's because this is an emergency episode of the Nat Coombs Show podcast. It's such an emergency that we couldn't even get Nat Coombs to do it. So instead, you've got me, Ben Isaacs. But most importantly. We've got Mike Carlson. That's super important right now because the main focus of this special emergency, emergency podcast is the fact that Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots have parted ways. I'm not going to say he's stood down. I'm not going to say he's been kicked out the door. I think it is a sort of mutual thing, but he's been there for 24 seasons. He's won six Super Bowls. He's won more games as a Patriots head coach, as every other Patriots head coach combined. In fact, it's not even close. He's got quite a big lead there. He's only 15 wins away from matching Don Shula with the most wins in NFL history. Of course, some of some of Belichick's wins uh, came outside New England, uh, most notably 
in Cleveland, but uh, I think he's going to go down more as a Patriots legend than a Browns legend. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got, it's super important having Mike Carlson here because he is the closest thing that we have to Bill Belichick, not just because they are both absolute geniuses, but grumpy mm-hmm. if you catch them at the wrong time. But True. they do share... They do share an education in common. So, Mike, just for those people who perhaps aren't regular listeners, don't know you as well as some other people, why don't you explain, first off, your connection to Bill Belichick? Right. It's quite simple, really. Um, I was at Wesleyan University, um, graduated in 1972, and in my final, uh, Bill was a freshman in my final year there. He didn't play football for some reason. If you look at the official guides and press releases, it'll say he played at Wesleyan from 71 to 74. Uh, But he didn't play football that year. But we played lacrosse together in the spring of 72. Um, Bill then went on to play football. Um, According to the coaches who were there, he basically acted as another coach and um, graduated in 75. So I didn't know him well. but we played, we did play lacrosse together for that whole season. And my connection was good enough when Nat and I went in 2007 to preseason to get me a uh, interview before his morning press conference with the beat writers, um, an exclusive one-on-one. And uh, that became literally a story in the Boston papers the next day, because Bill never gave one-on-one interviews and, and had to explain the whole story. So it was in the Herald and it was in the Globe. Um, and my moment of my moment of fame in Boston came came from Bill. Now, the, something I want to say about Bill Chel- Bel- Belichick before we really get into his career, and we've got so many questions that so many of you have sent in, which is absolutely lovely. Um, but Bill Belichick develops a reputation as being quite grumpy. He's like he didn't have a sense of humor. He didn't want to talk. And I felt that none of those things were actually really true. And there was a fantastic NFL films documentary made with Showtime about maybe 15 years ago about the AFL and it was called full color football. And it's wonderful celebration of the AFL and Bill Belichick was one of the talking heads on that. And it was like, if you got him talking about him growing up watching the AFL and you put a microphone and a camera in front of him, he wouldn't stop talking. And a clip that's been doing the rounds uh, today um, from when he basically gave a 10-minute history of special teams positions because somebody asked him about long snappers and he just wanted to talk about the history of, of special teams. He grew up a, a football historian. His father had a full library of NFL history books, over like 100 books. And Bill Belichick, if nothing else, he is a historian. He loves the sport. And I... I haven't interviewed Bill Belichick, but I did interview Jose Mourinho and I was told in advance about, oh, he's so grumpy. And I'd seen him in press conferences and I thought, oh, God, this guy's going to be a nightmare. But we had to talk about um, the World Cup. And I asked him about growing up watching the World Cup and he would not stop talking about what it was like watching Portugal as a kid and they wouldn't do very well. And sometimes you'll talk to these people about something other than the direct job in front of them, the next game in front of them, and they will open up if you ask them the right questions. And with Bill Belichick, if he's asked the right questions, he's as good an interview as you could ever have. He's absolutely okay. the, the, pa- the Patriots reporters will tell you that. And they, they often 
someone would try to get him to talk. And that was where the special teams question came. And, you know, one of the, but when you ask him the usual questions, many of which are, what would be the word? Not quite detailed enough. He's not, he's in, he's in game mode when he's talking to the press right. in game week, which means he's not going to give away a single damn thing about what they're going to do that might help his opponent. Um, and that goes to who's going to play, who's not, who's healthy and who's not. And if you ask him a really dumb question, like famously, you know, if the team was going to move away from Tom Brady after they'd gotten beaten, you know, badly, you know, he, he, he would just shake his head and, you know, and, and just say, why am I doing, why am I doing this job? I, I think, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, that football book collection is huge. Um, I think Peter King once, you know, did a profile of Bill, the one that includes the picture of our lacrosse team, which which <laughs> made him the butt of num a number of jokes in the locker room when um, he brought, Bill apparently brought a couple of our teammates around who he's been friendly with around the, in to see the locker room. And Willie McGinnis um, said, uh, oh, are those guys in the picture? <laughs> and the whole locker room started laughing because everybody knew what what picture they were talking about. But you know, I, you mentioned the Don Shula record and Bill. You know, fifteen wins and he breaks the record, which is um, Shula, of course, has Baltimore as well as Miami in his resume. So his is a two team record as well. Although his record at Baltimore, I think, is a bit better than Bill's was at Cleveland. Um, but Bill has the advantage of having had more playoffs. Um, to get to the Super Bowl, you have to win three or four games, depending on where you qualify. Whereas in Shula's day at first, it was just you won your conference and the other team won that you their conference, and then you played in the Super Bowl. So it was only one postseason game. Um, so yeah, it, it all balances out in the end. And and to me, I think the motivation for his continuing coaching is that he wants to break that record. I mean, yeah, I I, asked I, him, I feel the same. Yeah, yeah. There's there is a question in the mailbag which I will supersede. Um, but someone asked what he will do. You know whether he takes his boat out off Nantucket for the rest of his life, um, which I think is highly unlikely because I don't think he really wants to relax, um, or whether he coaches lacrosse. And I don't think that's highly likely. But I did ask him my final question in that interview was if you weren't a football coach what would you be doing? And he just instantly just said coaching lacrosse. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah. yeah, he's a coach. That's what he wants to do. And he's going to keep doing it. You know, if he winds up at age 80 coaching at Wesleyan, that wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. Um, yeah. Thanks to James Cummins for that question, which was, which was fantastic. And Nantucket's beautiful and I wouldn't blame him. Um, I'm going to ask you one question of my own, Mike, before we get into the other questions on the mailbag. And I just want a yes or no answer from you is bill belichick a, the great there's a first for everything yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna be i'm gonna be strict i think i know what you're gonna say but i would really i'd really like your opinion on it straightforward is bill belichick the greatest nfl head coach in history i'd say yes yeah i personally think yes i got some pushback which is great because that's you know, it's certainly up for debate. If to me, it feels like he is, but let's 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 get into some of these questions. We we can we can go. I mean, to me, there's probably three, maybe four other contenders who are 
George Hallis, Paul Brown, Don Shula, and Vince Lombardi. Probably Lombardi and then Shula in the reverse order. Right. And when you look, when you compare them and try to take eras into, into account, Brown had a 10-year dominance. Um, Lombardi had a nine-year dominance, more or less. Shula never had a period of dominance, although you know he was a he was a great coach throughout and successful throughout um, until the very last years. And Shula also had a defensive genius, like in Bill Arnsparger, in his best years, like you know, like Parcells had with Belichick, for example. Um, and Hallis just owned the team, so he could keep going as long as no ever. one could fire and him. He's a he's a good example because. Hallis not only refused to change with the times and is the only one of those guys who had no idea what he had an idea of what he wanted for a quarterback, but that was rarely like what he needed for a quarterback apart from Sid Luckman, Mm -hmm. Um, all his other great quarterbacks. He he either got rid of or, um, or used, used badly. So, um, you know, I think, I think Brown probably comes in second for his innovation a lot of modern coaching depends on Paul Paul Brown still to this day, and Lombardi probably could come in second for his motivation um, and success. Uh, so you know, you, on one hand, you almost have a tactician versus versus a leader, and head coaching is a combination of both. And with Lombardi, part of that is success at just the right time, just as the NFL was starting to really explode into the U.S. mainstream, and the fact that. The, the tail end of his dominance was the start of the Super Bowl era. You know, if, if the tail end of that dominance had come five years earlier, it wouldn't be called the, the Vince Lombardi trophy. Yeah. It would have you're another at, name. You're absolutely right. It's a great, it's a great point. Um, but on obviously he then, he then went off to the Washington Redskins. He left green Bay in part because his wife did not want to live in a small town anymore. Um, and he went off and did not a great job in Washington and, and died quite suddenly. So, Hopefully, yeah. hopefully we're not going to see that from Bill Belichick, that he's going yeah. to have a disastrous run in Washington. I know that a lot of Commanders fans are hoping to get Bill Belichick. What do you think is the best? Let's assuming let's just assume and I'm sure other people are going to have this asking the questions. Let's assume he's going to be on an NFL sideline next season. Where is the best fit for him? For him is pretty much. Everyone, uh, every every team with an opening has been linked with him in some way, and plus somewhere there isn't currently an opening. What do you think makes the most sense for him? The two teams that I think make the most sense are Washington and Atlanta. Um, Atlanta, Arthur Blank is apparently going to write him a blank check, <laughs> so to speak. Um, Washington has a pretty good, poor roster. Um probably needs a quarterback. Atlanta probably needs a quarterback, but I don't think Bill would be as worried about needing a quarterback as a lot of coaches would be. You know, the rumors are Jim Harbaugh wants to go or will go to San to uh, Los Angeles chargers because that's where Herbert is, but the chargers are kind of a, they're, they've got a salary cap problem that needs to be uh, adjusted. Um, Carolina Tepper might want Belichick to give him some credibility. Mm-hmm. And he's got Chase Young there, um, but I'm not convinced Young is the the kind. Bryce of Young, Bryce Young, sorry, 
Bryce Young, sorry, Chase, yeah, Chase Young is a different player entirely. Um, Bryce Young, and I don't, I'm not sure Bryce Young is the kind of player that he might want. And the other openings, the Raiders, Tennessee, Seattle. Um, you know, I sort of, I can't see him going to Tennessee and like flipping with Mike Rabel. No. Um, Seattle, it's weird because Pete Carroll and Belichick. It means the two, the last two Patriots coaches were both you know, both quit or left their teams within 24 hours of each other, mm. um, which is a little bit ironic. And the Raiders, I can't see him working on that. But the one outside, off-the-wall kind of idea that I have is let's say Green Bay go down and win in Dallas this weekend and Jerry Jones blows a casket and fires Mike McCarthy. Bill and Jerry Jones would be a match made in heaven. Wow. Um, for a year or two, but he <laughs> would go into a team that's pretty well stacked, you know, and they might lose Dan Quinn to Seattle. That seems to be, you know, it's the most obvious kind of choice of a new head coach for Seattle, but I don't think that would bother him particularly, but you know, that to me would be like, from my point of view, a dream scenario, except that I would have to root for the Cowboys, but <laughs> at least you could inflict maximum pain on them. You know, before before Bill took over, I think it's a very long shot, and I think Mike McCarthy deserves a certain amount of credit for what he's done in in Dallas. In Dallas, um, but you know, to me, Dallas still lack that toughness. They're they're front runners. They're they're like the Dolphins. They're you know they're great against bad opponents, and they're not so good against good opponents. Uh, they're great at home, not so good on the road. You know, it's um, it's all the kind of stuff that Bill would I think like to sink his teeth into. Yeah, I I wondered I wondered about the Washington Commanders because they've got plenty of cap space because they've got the possibility of picking a franchise quarterback in this draft, but you know d- does he want to be part of such a such a big rebuild that has to go on, or would he rather be in a more ready made situation? You know how how important is the is the quarterback situation yeah. to him? Yeah, there aren't any ready made situations available really. When you look at the the actual openings, mm. right? Dallas now. would be the one oh, no. if that if that did happen, and that's only because Jerry yeah. Jones could fire McCarthy with yeah, one playoff. I, but defeat. I don't I don't actually think that's going to happen. Um, and and I think the Chargers thing is exaggerated because of because of Dustin um, a Bear, and um, I think Washington is probably he gives the new management credibility in a way that Ron Rivera doesn't, even though he's coming off a Ron Rivera-ish season. Mm. And I think they were very, unlike Tepper, they were very um, they were very careful of the way they approached this year. You know, they left Rivera there. They didn't clean everything out from top to bottom. Yeah. I think they sat back and said, let's see what they can do, and then we'll know how we want to move on in the future. And I think if Eric Bieniemy was going to be the head coach, they would have made him head coach at some point during the season. But I don't think that he convinced them that he was ready to be head coach. I think, you know, when you go back to the early season, the preseason, he was part of the problem, not part of the solution, as they say. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think that that makes the most sense to me. So Plus it's, he can it, get to Nantucket. Sure. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's got, um, uh, he's got plenty of East coast experience in terms of, you know, that's, that's where he's been, brought up and he spent time in Maryland. So, you know, maybe it could work. Um, 
it's impossible to talk about Bill Belichick without talking about Tom Brady. Um, question from Ooh. James Gregory. Um, how many Super Bowls does Belichick win with a different quarterback to Brady? For example, if he had a good but not great one, like from the class of 2004. Um, I think you have to look at, it was interesting too, when they, I didn't, they had a press conference, but it actually wasn't a press conference. They just each read statements, Bob Kraft and Bill yeah. Belichick. And I thought it was really interesting that Belichick called Kraft Bob, which NFL coaches never do. They always call the owner, Mr. Whatever, mm. or, or Mrs. Mrs. Amy, as Rand Carbon <laughs> said uh, about Amy, Amy um, Adams Strunk. Um, and, Kraft talked about their 10 Super Bowls, which means Kraft was thinking of Tom Brady, not <laughs> Bill Belichick, which I thought was a really interesting slip of the tongue there. Um, I think, would Belichick have gone to the Super Bowl with Drew Bledsoe at quarterback um, in the second year, in the year that Bledsoe was hurt and that Brady took them to that first Super Bowl? They were a defensive-oriented team. They were a good defensive team. Brady, what Brady showed was that sort of comeback ability, the ability to adjust and to take what was given. Um, I'm thinking of like of like the snow, the game against Oakland, the yeah. the overtime again, uh, not the, the not overtime against um, the Rams when John Madden was saying they should go to overtime. I'm not sure Bledsoe could have done would have done that. It's possible he could have, but he was a different kind of quarterback, and I think. In 2004, Brady with Roethlisberger, I mean, uh, Belichick with Roethlisberger, poss quite possibly. Um, you know, Roethlisberger, that first couple of years, was treated with kid gloves by Pittsburgh. And his job was not to turn the ball over. You know, it was to give the ball to the bus, let the defense put them in position to win the games, and don't turn the ball over, make some plays when you have to, which was exactly the formula that Brady he was was Belichick was getting out of Brady in I'd say the first five seven years of their collaboration. Then then they got Randy Moss. They became a wide open offensive team, and as they moved into the next decade, it became more Brady's team. They were less dominant defensively after about maybe 2012. Still good, and Bill is still tactically you know one of the best defensive coaches in the league. The Patriots this year with a halfway decent quarterback would have won eight or nine games, probably mm, the way yeah. their defense played. Um, and I think with Jimmy G, they might well have been able to do that. And I think that's what Bill was thinking because I don't know how serious the feud was between Kraft and Bill about Brady and Jimmy G, you know, Seth Wickersham in the, in sports illustrated, you know, made it seem like it was a mafia Two families in the mafia, without it, without a single, without a single attributed quote in it. Um, but I think, I think Bel Belichick giving away Garoppolo was a sign of, of a sort of fit of peak on his part, um, because he was, I, I would, I believe he was probably forced to, um, because not that he was fed up in any way with Brady, but because I think Bill has always been coaching ten years in advance. He's been coaching to build a team, not 10 is probably an exaggeration, five years in advance. He's been coaching to build a team that will be dynastic. And there aren't any coaches in the league that have that 
frame of mind. Um, that he wanted to be the best team and he wanted it to be the best team that would turn over year by year. And Brady, of course, was the linchpin of that because as long as he had Brady, he could cut corners on offense in particular um, because he knew Brady. And that's where the that's where the split finally came. You know, when they won the Super Bowl against the Rams, it wasn't Tom Brady, although he had a great final drive. But it was because they held the Rams, the greatest offense the world had ever seen, um, until Miami came along this year, um, to three points in the Super Bowl. And and the Rams, so the Rams' solution to that was to fire Wade Phillips. Go figure. Yeah. Um, I and think then, for a lot, I was going to say know, just for, for a lot of people. Year, he didn't give Brady any. He didn't give Brady any receivers. You know, it was it was Julian Edelman hobbling around on crutches out there on the field. You know, and a bunch of guys. Um, for a lot of people, it's kind of a little bit forgotten about how that first Super Bowl that Belichick won, that 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 was the start of a dynasty, but it wasn't meant to be. It was meant to be cementing the St. Louis Rams as the dynasty to start the century. They'd won one two yeah. years before, then Baltimore won one, and it was just it was that was a blip. The Rams, the Rams were back, and Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk were going to dominate the league for the next five years. And the Patriots were the ultimate underdogs that season. It, it people were not thinking of them as a Super Bowl team. Not you know, not even during that game against the Raiders that they won. They were the they were incredible underdogs. And then they had a disappointing season the year after, and it was just thought that well, that was a nice story, wasn't it? When the Patriots won the Super Bowl and that that nice Tom Brady kid that nobody had heard of that he won a Super Bowl, but Belichick had, was building a team to last, and that actually that year after the first Super Bowl, that was the blip. That was a blip, and the Rams winning their Super Bowl was a blip, and the rest was just Patriots dominance for for the, right. basically the the rest of the century. That we've had no, so far. No anyway. one's ever done that. No one's ever done that. Paul Brown and Otto Graham had ten years where they went to a championship game every year. Uh, they won the four in the All American Conference, and they won three of the six in the NFL when they joined the NFL. Graham finally retired. He retired twice, and they brought uh, Brown persuaded him to come back for their last championship year. He retired. Paul Brown never won another championship, even though he had Jim Brown. Um, they won one title with Blanton Collier coaching um, and the late Frank Ryan was the quarterback. I don't think, and I don't think there's been ever anything. That's the 10 year dynasty. And you can say they were a dynasty. Um, if Brady doesn't get hurt in 2009, they went 11 and five with Matt Castle at quarterback. Yeah. And only missed the playoffs on a tiebreaker. Um, primarily because they only beat the teams they should beat, and they they lost to the couple of good teams who happened to be in their division that year, um, in, uh, which was unfortunate for them. But still, eleven and five with Matt Castle. Um, you know, he he needed Brady in one sense, but he could win without Brady in 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 another. Very realistically, um, I mean, you're, and you're talking about the best quarterback of all time. You know, so and you know I. We're talking talking about these talking about dynasties and how long they can last and that you know uh, you think of the the Cowboys dynasty of the nineties that was three Super Bowls in four years and that's a legitimate dis dynasty and the the Forty Niners of the late eighties going into the early nineties that's a that's a dynasty but that was four Super Bowls the 
the length of time and the turnover of players, the only the only coach that has done that was George Hallas in terms of such a sustained period between, say, the, the first championship and the, and the final championship. Now, with George Hallas, the sport was different and the difference was decades. Um, you know, it's from the 1920s to the 1960s. So it's not quite as not quite as long as Bill Belichick's run, but it's it is very different. But you've when you've got when you've got a quarterback like Brady, yes, you can you can do that. But Bill Walsh only only got a you know a far smaller number with Joe Montana. And Joe Montana, a lot of people would have said when he retired that he was the greatest quarterback of all time. So yeah, absolutely. You know, um so yeah James Reynolds asked he, he and Seifert he and Seifert had that was a great era because there were four really fine teams ending in that Dallas run. Yeah. Um, over, over the Bills in the early 90s. But, you know, you had the Giants, you had the 49ers, you, and there was that law of competitive balance because they were playing each other all the time. The, the AFC was not so much of a factor then. But, you know, you have the Steelers have a short run, the Cowboys have a short run. It's not quite dynastic because it only covers those years when they, they put together a great team. Yeah. And those were the years where keeping a great team together started to become really difficult. Yes, exactly. And this, I mean, you know, like I say, I legitimately feel that you could call that that Cowboys team a dynasty because because of those Super Bowls and that they were then competitive a few years before that and a few years after it. But when you when you put it into comparison with what Belichick did at the Patriots, how long that lasted, how many wins there were, how many Super Bowls there were and doing it, you know, yes, built around built around Brady in effect, but having all those pieces coming in and out, no, no other team and no other dynasty was able to, was able yeah. to do that. Um, James Reynolds says, how many NFL games does Brady play if he rocks up anywhere other than New England? Very possibly none, in his opinion. I mean, how, how important to Brady was Belichick? Really important. You know, um, he, didn't, he didn't last till pick 199 in the draft for no reason, you know, very few people looked at him and saw what Belichick saw. And I don't even think Belichick saw it in the draft. I think that was really their scout. Dick Rabine is the guy who's usually credited with, with um, doing that. But Bray, Belichick kept Brady on the roster as a rookie, one of four quarterbacks on the roster in the days when, you know, nobody put quarterbacks on the practice squad to speak of the practice squad was only seven guys. And I think Michael Bishop was the, was the, it was Damon Heward maybe. And Michael Bishop um, were the, and they both played in NFL Europe, but he saw something in Brady. And I think a lot of it was the competitiveness and the intelligence. And, you know, I've watched the documentary about the um, called do your job. I think about Mm. the Super Bowl over Seattle and and there's a scene in it with Belichick and Brady breaking down tape together, and it's it's a pure partnership, you know. And, oh yeah, I think you know I see what he's doing there, and I can do it. And Belichick, yeah, and we can do you know it, it. It's the two of them were on that same page. Um, someone else might have said a skinny kid, not very athletic, not a huge arm, um, and not giving him the chance to grow, which is basically yeah. what happened, both both literally and figuratively. And, you know, obviously, if, if Bledsoe hadn't got hurt, Bledsoe was a really good quarterback at that point. He, he was not it was not a bum. 
they were not desperately trying to get rid of him. You know, you don't pick you don't pick someone at one nine nine assuming that they're going to take over very soon. You know, Drew Bledsoe was not chopped liver. The guy was the guy was really good, and he's still beloved yeah. in New England. And he was a he was a great mentor to to Brady. Um, Carl Bailey um, on Facebook has asked, "Does Bill still have something to prove post Brady?" Well, he does in the sense that everybody is going to make the Belichick versus Brady argument um, for as long as the Internet exists. Um, so he in that sense, yes, to himself, I kind of doubt it. But, you know, like Brady, he's probably at his best with a chip on his shoulder. Um, I think he's going to have to also adjust um, in the from the grumpy old grumpy old man kind of thing which in my mind has been a difficulty for the probably since the philadelphia super bowl around that time when he benched mm -hmm. malcolm butler for whatever it was that malcolm butler did or did not do you know we still have never had the straight story on that from either either of them and i'm in my mind that cost them the game Philadelphia don't get one or maybe two of their long touchdowns if the Patriots have their normal coverage um, available. Everybody right. was, you know, they moved everybody up one notch, and, and that was not a good thing against such a good passing attack as Philadelphia's. Um, and then you can really question some of the draft and free agency decisions in the last four or five years. Um, you know, take Last year's draft, he went defense in the first three rounds. Um, good picks. And they were they were proven, two of them, the first two were proven that way um, this year. The third one was uh, Marte Mapo, who I think was one of those draft for the future guys because he's going to be the one who replaced Kyle Duggar when Duggar signs a big free agent contract that Bill probably wasn't going to give him because he's always thinking in terms of the cap cap going on um into the into the next year but then needing tackles obvious to almost anybody they draft another cole strange kind of interior lineman they draft two big guards um and then they move on to a couple of ride receivers and a couple of defensive um defensive backs speedy defensive back and they trade up to take a kicker who was literally the worst kicker in the NFL this year. And they let Nick Folk go, who according to my ratings was about number four in the NFL this year. So, um, you know, so it was kind of a sort of stubbornness, which I think was, was amplified by the loss of good coaches, old ones like Dante Scarnecchia's line coach, who retired, he retired. Um, McDaniel's left, good offensive mind, you know, good play caller. Um, Flores left for a head coaching job, good young defensive mind. And Bill, Bill's reaction was to kind of like double down to the young people who he had had most recently specifically Patricia and Joe Judge, mm. and then for some reason, which only he can explain, give them control of the offense with, with a quarterback who had had a passable, um, a passable rookie season, and they proceeded to demolish him and then 
you know, he brought back another familiar face, Bill O'Brien, who couldn't do anything better. You know, there were a lot of bad personnel judgments in the past three years, um, which is why so many rumors came out that he would become the GM and let somebody else coach. Mm. Or no, sorry, well, become the coach and let somebody else GM. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, yeah, these, these are similar to the question. So Mark at, um, at Attica75 on Twitter, he asked, where did it all go wrong for Bill the last couple of seasons? And those those personnel decisions, those coaching decisions, those as in the coaching hiring decisions um, clearly played a part in that. And uh, the Pizza at Padrillo 12, would it or could it have worked if Bill had stayed on as head coach only and was relieved of his GM responsibility? So I, for a start, I don't think his ego would have allowed him to stay as the Patriots coach, but to have the GM responsibilities taken away. But speaking hypothetically, let's say he did want to do that. Do you think he could have got himself back on track, Mike? It, it's possible. I mean, the only name that pops into my mind would be Nick Casario, who was his personnel, top personnel guy for a long time. You know, he lost a lot of good personnel guys who basically failed as general managers over the years um, to a greater or lesser extent. Pioli, Dimitrov, Robinson in Tennessee, Ziegler in in uh, LA, in uh, Vegas, when, when they still had um, the Patriots' um, God guy, um, their their funnel to God, the, um, with, with, you know, had all the influence on McNair. Right, was yeah. Basically running, right, yeah. It was basically running the team, and his name escapes me right now because I hadn't read. But Casario showed, you know, this past year, they, he did a great job of putting together a team for – with um, um, D'Amico Ryans, you know, getting the kind of guys that they want. And I think that's what Belichick needed was to someone who could temper what he wants with the second opinion. Um, And the problem with second opinions with Bill is that most of the people in his staff, no matter how they come and go, are people who he's trained. So their second opinion is generally the his first, it's, it's you know, his a, a reflection of his first and yeah. I, I think one of the things he probably needs to do in a, in a new job if he takes one is to bring in some outside you know some outside voices um you know just just to kind of you know he still plays that same brand of football but he was willing you know their offense was dink and dunk at one point long ball at another point two tight ends at another point He's willing to adjust and go with the flow on offense, but defensively, he's still committed to big, tough up front. Um, and, you know, that still works. I mean, yeah. the Ravens basically still do that, you know, and, and Ozzie, everyone says, oh, Bill's tree is so ridiculous, but Ozzie Newsom comes from Bill's tree, you know, in Cleveland. And well, I, yeah, so I, wanted, I, wanted to, I wanted to mention the Belichick coaching tree in terms of let's, Let's look at Saban purely from an NFL perspective when we talk about this coaching tree. But when you when you look at it, it is not it is not great. You've got Al Groh, 
Romeo Cunell, Eric Mangini, Josh McDaniels, Bill O'Brien, Matt Patricia, Brian Flores, Joe Judge, and Brian Dable. Not a lot of playoff Charlie wins. Charlie Weiss. Charlie Weiss should be in there too. Um, um where, where did he, he did? But he wasn't the head coach in the NFL, though, was he? Was, was he? he? Wasn't he? I thought just at Notre okay, Dame. Maybe, maybe he wasn't. Yeah, maybe he was only yeah. head coach in Notre Dame. And that didn't um, go well either. Yeah, but I mean, you know, like I said, Ozzy is a name on that tree. Um, Kirk Ferentz and Pat Hill and, you know, and um, Saban obviously are also from there in college. I think the the big problem with most of those guys, and I guess O'Brien's the most successful of the bunch, is that coaching is, it's less tactician. Everybody wants, everyone wants to hire strategy, uh, tacticians, not strategists. And I mean strategists in the sense of building a team and telling the team what, what they're going to do and building a culture around the team. And, you know, the best play calling offensive coordinator or hot young defensive coordinator does not necessarily make the best head coach. And the way most of that Belichick tree tended to insert culture was to insert the Patriot culture, the Patriot way, but they weren't Bill Belichick. They didn't have their finger on everything and be, and, and competently. And they, they couldn't persuade the people who didn't believe in it to follow them because they were winners. You know, veterans would come in and, and, you know, I would, most of them probably wouldn't play for someone with the attitudes of Bill Belichick, but Belichick had those Super Bowl rings. And, you know, right, if you were going right. to go there to win, that was that was the thing. And he wanted guys who wanted to win, who didn't necessarily want money or fame or, you know, highlights on ESPN or a future job in media. You know, they, they just wanted to win football games. And that's a tough sell nowadays. Yeah, yeah maybe one of the greatest reflections of, how amazing a coach he was is that you look at you look at these players who these coaches who served under him who got head coaching jobs and that the fact they didn't do very well i don't think that's a knock on bill belichick it's that did bill belichick just make these guys look so good that they it's, could walk into a job like out of those names that i mentioned you're right bill o'brien won the most games he he went 52 and 48 the best winning percentage al grow one year at the Jets. Yeah, nine and seven. I mean, the rest have got losing records. Now, um, I'm going to mention Nick Saban um, because for those people who don't follow college football, yesterday, Nick Saban very unexpectedly retired. He stepped down the University of Alabama. Um, he is the Bill Belichick of college football in the in the same era that Belichick has been dominating the NFL. Nick Saban has been dominating college football, even more so than Bill Belichick has. But there are particular reasons for that. They were on the same staff um, at the Cleveland Browns. It seems remarkable that the two greatest coaches of their generation, at the very least, they're the greatest coaches of the generation. Even if you don't believe Belichick is the greatest NFL coach of all time and that Saban isn't the greatest college coach of all time, at the very least, they're the greatest of their generation. Both on the same staff in Cleveland. Um, I think people like to use that as kind of a, a stick to beat the Cleveland Browns with. They are the two greatest coaches and still couldn't do anything. But to be fair, Saban left anyway for another job. And Bill Belichick 
he wasn't let go by the Browns technically. He was let go by Baltimore. They weren't even the Baltimore Ravens at the time. They were still in the process of figuring that whole thing out. <laughs> but they they were together. And one of the questions um, that we were asked by Political Football on Twitter, and they said, with Saban and Belichick both going, will we ever see such a sustained period of dominance in either the NFL or college football again? Um, I, it's harder all the time. And every time the playoffs expand or they add, you know, mm. they add another round of in uh, in college, you know, the SEC champion, every big, every, any of the big conferences now have to expand to the point where they can have their own championship game. So it gives you another chance yeah. at, um, at success. Um, I think it'll be very difficult. I don't think it's impossible, particularly at the college level. Um, I think you could see more NFL dynasties in the short-term sense, you know, uh, the sense of a half a decade of domination. I doubt you would see, excuse me, another 20-year kind of period of of sustained success. It should have been impossible for Belichick. It should have been impossible. Free agency should make it impossible. I mean, what was it? it, um, um, 17 division championships in 24 years? 11 in a row? It should be impossible. no, I don't. I don't think you'll you'll actually you'll actually see that. I saw this great another side but I saw this great clip of uh, it was a little UPI story about Ohio State hiring Pete Carroll as their secondary coach because their secondary coach Nick Saban had left to become the defensive coordinator at North Carolina State. <laughs> this is like 1980 or so. I it all, and the you know again the two of them the two of them go the same day. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know, obviously those are all those are all coaches kind of of a of a certain age, and a, perhaps a different kind of mentality and outlook. Um, you know, does Belichick still fit into the NFL that we have now with the, with the younger coaches who look like gonna, they're straight off the peloton? Yeah, that's what we're going to th- that's what we're going to you know find out. I mean, Pete's Pete's incredibly young looking. Um, Right. Somebody 72. put up a piece today about how how Pete Carroll was the epitome of a good guy and Belichick was a cheater and can be a bad guy. Said you ever heard of Reddy, Reggie Bush? <laughs> Pete got out of USC before just before the NCAA slapped him down hard. That, yeah, it's why he got and, out of college football. He was going to probably get yeah. suspended. Yeah, and um, you know, and I didn't. Same thing is going to happen with Harbaugh, you know. And it's always I don't know anything about it, you know. These guys are micromanagers in every other in every other sense of the word. Um, but I, I think Bill is going to have. He'll probably see that, and he'll probably work on trying to adjust. And you know, if he gets hired somewhere, it'll be interesting to see who he hires as his assistants. Whether you know. Besides his two sons, who probably come with him as a package deal, but you know NFL stands for the nepotistic football league, so you know it's like it's like that's normal. So, um, I just want to leave. I want to leave with one final with one final question because we've talked so much about Bill Belichick and who's the next coach in New England. Exactly, we've talked about what's potentially next for Bill Belichick, but what is potentially next for the New England Patriots, a franchise that was pretty middling for a long time. And Bill Belichick turned up with Drew Bledsoe, uh, with Drew Bledsoe already there, turned them into a pretty good team, with Tom Brady turned them into the greatest dynasty in NFL history. 
Now what? I mean, it, the decision for the crafts, talk about nepotism and the NFL ownership is, is worse than the coaching nepotism. But the thing for the crafts now is do they, do they go back to the Belichick well? Do they go back to the Belichick well or do they try something completely different? I mean, right now, everybody says in the same way that everybody says Dan Quinn would be the logical successor in, in Seattle. And I wonder if Dan Quinn would want to go back to working under, in one sense, Pete Carroll, although Carroll's role is kind of under, he'll be kind of like the vice president in charge of stuff. Um, <laughs> but um, the vice president of good vibes. Could, yeah. Um, you know, Mike Vrabel seems like the obvious guy to bring back. And I think Vrabel's a quality coach. Um, his, his, uh, short coaching career so far has been defined by losing A.J. Brown um, mm. in the same sense that Belichick's is defined um, by by losing by losing Brady. Um, and I don't know if that was his decision as much as John Robinson, who got fired for it. Um, but, but, you know, we'll we'll see. Um, I don't think Josh McDaniels would be in the running. Um, I Jared Mayo last year was some people said promised the coaching job after Belichick. Um, he'll certainly be interviewed for jobs now. And I think he's got, he's got DeMarco Ryan's kind of possibilities um, uh, as a head coach. And Flores could come back, except that the word around is that Flores is in effect blacklisted as a head coach for what went on in Miami, you know, for, mm basically blowing the whistle on the owner owners don't like guys who blow whistles on owners um but well i mean flores had a great season as a defensive coordinator in minnesota i i thought um and the most interesting one to me is a guy who's been with new england and with pete carroll gone i don't know what his contract situation is in in um, seattle but shane waldron who mm. was sean mcveigh's coordinator before he went up uh, or quarterbacks coach, I guess, before he went up to um, Seattle. He coached in New England. Um, he played at Tufts, which is just outside Boston, and uh, and coached there. So I think he'd, he'd be an interesting one for them to bring in if they wanted to go with someone young but st who still had a certain tie uh, to the area. Uh, but it, it, it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of a lesson they've learned as to you know what they think they need to do um to rebuild that team you know whether anybody stays from that staff um or whether they whether they go in a completely different direction um you know for a young offensive mind like uh, ben johnson say um they're even talking about what's his name in my smith frank smith is it mm. the oc in, in miami i mean not in new england but but teams that people are talking yeah. about him as a potential um head coach and the Patriots I mean, still going to need a quarterback. Pick. Yeah, that's it. So, you know, they've with the pick that they've got, they could even trade up if they wanted, or they can they can sit there and still potentially get themselves a franchise quarterback. It's they clearly they clearly need one. Um, mm. I guess they they could try and fill a gap in free agency and, and build around they a need offensive quarterback. Linemen. Yeah, they yeah. need a whole lot of needs. Remake. A lot of needs. Yeah, the defense uh, is pretty solid. So, um, that was the emergency podcast. 
Um, hopefully that settled everybody's nerves. Hopefully Bill Belichick has listened to this because because it's Mike. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine Bill Belichick Bill will be listening sitting to there a podcast. And saying to himself, if he were to listen to this, he would say, he still doesn't know shit. <laughs> I mean, Bill Belichick is someone with this level of contempt for I was gonna say the media, just a lot of stuff, really. When when they did the draft during COVID in 2020 and it was a remote draft and the coaches were at home, they were required to have a camera in their home and he put his dog in front of two computers when he was due on camera. Like, that's that's Bill Belichick. If that doesn't make you love Bill Belichick, then I don't know I don't know what what would. I mean, I don't know how many coaches could get away with that. A lot of other coaches were there with their family or they wanted to show off their amazing homes with him, it was just his dog. His dog in front of two computers, though. That's a busy dog. Most dogs it can't even deal with dog. one computer. Who but... was his? Who did the dog pick with the first pick of the draft? <laughs> I would love it if he was deferring to the dog. I mean, it might, it might, uh, it might answer why, um, why they've why they've ended up in a bit of a a bit of a mess. Um, I yeah. I mean that that twenty twenty draft was the weirdest draft and uh i mean not not just because of uh not just because of the dog but um right i'm going to i'm going to yeah. leave it there i'm going to leave it there you said the word defer bill belichick's legacy will not be all the super bowl wins it will be he was the guy who started everybody deferring at the coin toss oh yes that's going to be his his legacy his true <laughs> legacy not the Super Bowls, not Tom Brady, not the ineffectual coaching tree. It'll be deferring the kickoff. Huh. Yeah. I like that. I and think, I, think, I think I think he'd yeah. enjoy that. I think so too. I think the crafts may hire him, uh, may hire the dog as their next general manager. <laughs> well steal um, him. Seal him away from Bill. I mean, and I'm also that... pleased that although I'm older than Bill, he's unemployed and I'm not. <laughs> well yeah i i'm someone who gets nervous um whenever i whenever i think i'm not i'm not earning something that day so yeah i i i'm hoping that bill belichick has got enough money stashed aside that he can cope for a couple yeah, of I weeks before be he takes survive, over like i said he's not going to stop coaching that's what that's who he is yeah i with the fact that saban yesterday had said that's it i'm retired not i'm stepping away i'm retired i'm done i'm too tired to do this it would have been very easy for bill belichick and bob craft to just if they wanted him gone and belichick thought yeah i think i'm done here it would have been a lovely a lovely thing for the patriots to say bill belichick's retiring you know it's this is it and it would have been this big love in and you know it was a very respectful press conference and um you know belichick said he'd be a patriot for life but you can tell he wants to carry on and he can have his pick of the jobs and maybe we'll have another emergency podcast when he takes one of those jobs <laughs> and that we have to, we have to analyze it. Um, I hope you've all enjoyed it, especially you, if you're listening, Bill, um, there is, uh, there's an, there's an episode of edge rush and FFS coming up pretty soon after this one. I don't know when you're listening to this, so I'm not going to say it's tomorrow or the day after. It's coming up soon. Um, but for now, for me, Ben Isaacs, and for Mike Carlson, and Bill Belichick and his dog, bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.